Because I think this is what the Lord was dealing with last week when we talked about three things, um, specifically about how we walk through life, right? We talked about the three H's, which is, what were the three H's? Hunger, hearing, and heeding. Because all the way from God causes a hunger in us that then brings us into a place where we're saying, Lord, what are you saying? And then from the what are you saying to how do I walk in what you're saying? How do I do what you're asking me to do? Because you're the one who has the words of life. And the three things that I left you with last week was learning to face trial, learning to cast your cares and your burdens, and learning to discern well. Those are three things I touched on. As this journey in the wilderness will often bring you to crisis points. It'll bring you to places where everything you've stood for, everything you've believed in will be challenged. So if you do not have a good anchor point, you will go wonky very quickly. And a key passage that the Lord asked me to work with, which I didn't get to talk about too much, was Matthew chapter 11, verses 24, 28 to 29. And Jesus was talking over here and he says come to me all of you who are in deep labor you you work so hard and you're heavy laden you have a heavy burden on you come to me and I will give you rest so there are things that we carry there are things that we are experiencing that are immense and we do not know how to navigate some of it. But Jesus is calling to you this morning. He alone is worthy of his name. He's the only one who can save. He says to you, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now this is a very, very important word. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. God is calling each of us in this wilderness journey. So this life is not what we were promised, which is union with God, seeing Him face to face, where there is no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow. Everything that was promised is fulfilled. We're not there yet. We're on the journey, and Hebrews tells us, as people who are travelers and as exiles on this place, let us live with the awareness of what we have been called to. We are not, this is not our end goal. What we're living right now is not our end goal. Our home is not here. We've covered that before. But living and walking with God is totally, as Donovan taught us, worth it. But the worth it part of it comes in these kind of trials. Comes in the handling the heavy load but he says, come and take my yoke upon you. Now, how many of you want a yoke upon your neck? I mean, you have enough stuff on your head already, right? How many of us would sign up to go to somebody and say, yeah, let me help pull the load too? But this is what Jesus is saying. He says, if you take my yoke upon you, you who are heavy laden, you who are burdened, you who have been working so hard, 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because I'm the one driving it. In more traditional forms of farming, you will find people who have oxen, they would put a strong ox together and a young one. An ox that was trained, mature, has walked the fields, worked with the farmer, understands all of the signals. And what they would do is they'd put a little, what they would call a young blood. Someone who has the energy to, to go for miles, but doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and this old guy, this old timer will say, come here. And the moment you get put in that yoke, this young guy wants to take off on this side. All the lines get squiggly, right? I mean, for any farmer who's trying to sow, it is important that you have consistency where you're sowing your crop. Otherwise, it's all over the place. So there is a point where you get this ox, and then you put a younger one in there, and it is trained to carry load. But it is not all on this young one to suddenly discover how to walk the straight path because you have a mature ox who's walking the straight path. He says, no, we're not going there. We're going here. We're walking this way. And it's that analogy that Jesus is using when he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Because I will teach you how to walk straight. I will teach you to walk far. I will teach you to pay attention to the farmer's voice so you don't get your butt whooped. There are so many things that start to happen in this context of this analogy that Jesus is saying, I, you were never meant to walk this alone. You were never given a field and said, now go make that fruitful. Jesus said, I am the one who will carry the load. I want you to come and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. There is a humility about the way Jesus operates that totally transforms situations. It is a humility that says, I can do nothing aside from what I see my father doing. I mean, think about it for a second. Last week I talked to you about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. What was the first thing Satan tempted him with? Dude, it's been a while. You're pretty hungry, right? You're hungry, right? Satan wasn't unaware of who Jesus was. He knew that he was worthy of that name. So Satan comes to him and says, you know you have the authority to just say, because he knows that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Now when you understand that Jesus is the word, he's not just a word from God, he is the word of God. Jesus, he comes to Jesus and says, all you have to do is just speak and it will happen. Just say to these rocks, become bread and it will become bread for you. And what is Jesus' response? He comes back to this manna incident in Exodus and he says, God wanted to teach us, even in providing us the daily sustenance that we need, He says, you will live not by eating, but by heeding every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
So Jesus immediately pivots back to saying, I have the inbuilt authority. Do you have the inbuilt authority to speak to rocks? You can't make rocks bread even if you tried. However, Jesus did. Right on the spot, he was someone who could create something out of nothing. But he comes to this point where he says, I lay that down. I lay that down. I will not do anything I do not see my father do. So that lowliness of heart isn't him saying, I'm willing to be a doormat. It's him saying, I'm only going to move when I see my father move. I refuse to go on my own counsel. I refuse to go on the basis of my need dictating what I do next. How many of us get trapped in so many things because our need dictates what we do next? I need more of this. So we go and buy something. Could, was it in the budget? Did we need it right away? All, none of those questions were asked. Why? Because there was a need that was felt. I'm not getting enough out of this marriage. A need felt, so I immediately respond to something. I break out with something else. My kids are just bad. A felt need, I want to respond with something else. Rather than say, Lord, how are you walking me through what seems like really hard road? I don't know what the solution is. I don't pretend to know what the solution is. I'm stop. I'm not going to let my need dictate how I respond. That is the context of man shall not live by bread alone. Was Jesus saying you don't need food? Was God saying you don't need food? No. But he was saying your food is not what your hunger for food does not dictate whether you get fed. Do you understand? Don't worry about the child. Okay? Does your hunger determine how it is met? Because there are so many things in our head immediately. I'm hungry. Go make a sandwich. Go to... Rather than ask the question, and actually this is proven from like a lot of studies have been done that a lot of people when they actually say they're hungry what they actually are is thirsty for water but we end up snacking whereas we're snack capital right in the middle of the day after you've had your meal there's that mm, just like go have a glass of water and you'll suddenly find i wasn't really hungry i just needed something to drink i just needed to feel satisfied the problem is we medicate all of our needs and hunger is one of those key core needs physically that teach us how desperate we are. Hunger does that to people, which is why even right up to military and all of these other things where they're trying to get to a person, hunger is one of the first things they hit. Because hunger is of core need. You cannot survive unless that is met. You cannot live. So Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 27 through 35. I'm going to be working through John chapter 6 a lot today. Jesus says to us, do not work for food that perishes. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, 
God the Father has set his seal. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, you work so hard for food that literally gets into your belly. And by the end of the day, it's in your toilet. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't make its way into the next few days. Your food satisfies for a, a brief second, for a fleeting moment. But we work so hard for this stuff to make sure my belly's full. And I said, figuratively, we have so many of these bellies. Relationally, we feel like we have certain needs. Emotionally, we feel like we want to have certain things. And we go ahead and dictate that this need must be met by this. And we forget, man shall not live by what their belly decides. Man will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But for that, I must come to the one who has the words of life. He says, work for that. So then they say to him, well, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So if, if you are the one who brings eternal life, what is, what is the stuff we should be doing so we can get that stuff? Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you, what is the work of God? That you believe in Him whom God has sent. Can somebody quote John 3.16 for me? For God, that He, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now read John chapter 6, verse 27 first. Do not work for food that is going to perish. We, do ne we never see John 3.16 in the context of what Jesus is sharing here. Jesus is saying, our life and all of its fullness is going to die. Everything. If it is coming out of your flesh, it's going to die. And what does he say in verse 29? But believe in Him whom He has sent. If, when you believe in Jesus, suddenly the work of Jesus becomes manifest to you. And He says, that is going to be your life. And we're not just talking about sin here. Do you understand? We're not talking about Jesus being your Savior. How many of you have always read John 3.16 as a verse about salvation from sin? Right? Me too. How much we are missing, we're leaving on the table when we realize Jesus was saying, I am the one who's come to give life in all its facets, not just rescue from mortal death. The problem is we are only thinking about mortality and eternal life. Those are the connections we're making. But Jesus is saying is, I'm here to give you life in its fullness. As you read this chapter, John chapter 6, you will start to see what Jesus was really expounding. So they said to him, okay then, go ahead. If you're, if you're such a big wise guy, go ahead. What, what sign are you going to do for us that we may see and believe you? What work are you going to perform? What is the next verse? They go back to Exodus 16. Because every good Jew knows that God set 
a sign for his people that he was going to be provision for them. What did he do? So he says, so they said to Jesus, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave to them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, so what do you think? Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Now, whenever you see in the Bible a double truly or a verily, verily, assuredly, any of those things, it's not, those words are not in the Bible. It is a quotation mark that means I want to emphasize. So it's like saying bold font underlined. So like if you were to have modern Microsoft Word or pages or whatever, it is you saying they would have taken those words and underlined, bolded them. So this is what Jesus wants, is, wants, wants you to have in bold font in your mind. Truly I say to you, double truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now do you see John 3.16 there? You start to see that Jesus was talking about himself being more than just a temporary fix to what ails humanity. A temporary fix that fills you up for the day, you go to sleep and then you're going to wake up tomorrow because guess what? You're, you got to punch in that clock to make the money, to go buy the bread, to eat the bread, to go make the money, to buy the bread, to eat the bread, to go. That cycle, which we're all stuck in. All of humanity toils like a little hamster on a wheel every day. And Jesus says, come to me. You're so weary and heavy laden. Come to me, I'll give you rest. He was not playing at something. He wasn't playing with you. He was saying, I have something for you that will satisfy beyond any of the things that you feel this life has become so... It's literally worn you down with each successive year. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this... I mean, what is this stuff? Give us that stuff. We want this stuff. Jesus said... And this is the first time you see this phrase. This is the first I am statement Jesus makes. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He touches these two things that were touched in the wilderness, hunger and thirst. And he talks to a fulfillment that isn't just temporary. Because everyone who ate that bread and drank the water in the wilderness eventually died. What God was testing in the wilderness was, will you hear my voice and respond to what I have said? When I do not believe that the God who said, I will take you into the promised land, is trustworthy, I start to make up grumblings. God didn't fix this yet. Why has this not happened yet? I'm supposed to be in a better place by now. I believed God yesterday. 
I believed God for the last 10 years and nothing's happened in my marriage. I believed God for this and look at what happened with this job. We always want to talk about our perception of where we are at based on what our need is. And God says, no, I have said something to you and I will fulfill it. I had to navigate some of that when my father passed away. How do you navigate what God has promised versus you saying, well, I needed this. Like, I don't need your fancy words. I need this. And God comes alongside you and says, son, will you live by what you think you need or by what I have said to you? Do you know I love you? Which is why I asked you that question right at the start of the series. When you do not answer these fundamental questions, do you know that God so loved the world? And not just the world, He loved you. Because there are things that are happening in your now which want to test that. I don't know if God is trustworthy. Which is why Jesus always pulls it back to this simple statement. Will you believe in me and the one that he has sent? In verse 47 of the same chapter, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And when we talk about eternal life, we're talking about the word, Greek word there is zoe. We're not talking about bios, which is, oh, guess what? You're going to die between 80 and 100, and your mortal life is going to be done. Give or take a few years. That's your bios life. We're talking about life in a different quality, not just quantity. The problem is, for us, whenever we hear eternal life, we are thinking heaven, angels, what happens after this? We forget that we start living in eternal life the moment we said yes to Jesus. Eternal life is now, not then, now. Now the fullness of what eternal life is, we will see when we receive our resurrection bodies. But guess what? We don't have to wait until then because we have Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of Life. So if you have me, guess what? You have life. Do you have Jesus? And I want to give you an opportunity right now. Because this is very critical. If you do not have Jesus, if you have grown up in a household that was Christian, and you never got to address one of these fundamental things, do I know Jesus for myself? Did I invite Jesus to be my Lord? To say, Lord, you have the words of life. I want to encourage you right now to make that decision. In verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And guess what? They died. All of them are dead. All of your forefathers. And they're the ones who ate that quote unquote, bread from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, verse 51. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. 
And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this is Jesus starting. Now I want to pivot to what we understand communion to be. He was talking about, I am going to take this body of mine and I'm going to get crucified on a cross for the sake of all of humanity that because of my body being broken, they will be made whole. They will receive life through my death sentence. My death will bring them life. So that they will never have to die. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed amongst themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is this weirdo? Like how many of you, when you first became a Christian, or like if you grew up Catholic even, the, like when you started becoming of like cognizant, like thinking age, you're like, Okay, what is this weird stuff about eating flesh and drinking blood? What's going on here? This sounds like some witchcrafty voodoo thing, right? Because that's the, like, I mean, ooga, ooga, yeah, like you're like, what, we're not in some jungle somewhere, like uh, chopping up people. And like, what, what, that's the thing that they were thinking. So don't worry, you're not weird for thinking that. Because they thought that too. But Jesus' comeback is, uh, is classic. They said, how can he give us his flesh? Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Again, he's bolding all this stuff. He's like, make sure you write this down. Because I want you to pay attention. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoa, okay. He just came out and said it. This guy is totally weird. Uh, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. See, he's explaining how this bread of life thing works. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Immediately after he said these things, people were so incensed that he said these things. Like, they said, man, the disciples said amongst themselves, this is, this is a hard thing. The disciples said to him, this is a hard thing you're saying. Like, what, what is this? Like, we were all cool so far, and then you started talking this weird stuff. Like, like, literally, what is this? And Jesus says, you need to understand something. I am the bread of life. We're not talking metaphors anymore. We're not talking about, oh, guess what? Oh, you're like bread. Or, yeah, you're like wine. No, he says... Unless my body is broken, unless my blood is shed, you will have nothing to do with me. You mean I cannot just accept the, the nice sayings that you say? Like be kind to your neighbors, love people. You know like how the world does? They, they like Jesus too. Jesus is very quotable. Except this kind of stuff. Like who, who even quotes this kind of rubbish? 
Oh, but Jesus says, this is life to you. Be careful what you, you're mocking. So when God comes to you and says, this is bread, and you're like, eh, what, what is this? Do you see that response? The manna response? <laughs> you mean this, this silly little thing that this church does every few weeks? You mean that is some fancy, big life-giving thing? Woo, whoop-de-doo. Ah, it's because you do not have the love of the Father in you. Excuse me? Who are you to judge that? There are people who are sitting in this room or who are watching online who feel assaulted right now when I ask that question. It's because we have grown up with Christianity. We have not put our faith in Jesus himself. When you have not made a choice to respond to the love of God yourself, you will ask a question like, this is too much. And guess what happens in John chapter 6? It's not in my verses there, but I just want to read this to you. Just so that you see it. The Jews disputed amongst themselves, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Right? When the, many of the disciples heard it, they said, Jesus, this is so hard. He says, why do you take offense at this? This is in verse 61 and 62. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is at no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus was talking about all those who did not believe and the one who was going to betray him. And he said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many disciples turned back and walked with him no longer. That was beyond the pale. So Jesus says to the 12 disciples, he looks at them and he says, do you want to leave as well? I want you to understand how critical this point was. He wasn't just being weird for weird's sake. This was a critical juncture where he was going to make, are you going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Or are you going to say, this does not make sense to my brain, so I'm checking out, no thank you. This sounds like some Middle Eastern weirdness. Not for me, I'm American. I grew up in a nice home. I eat Cheerios for breakfast. None of this blood and gut stuff for me, please. Ah, but when you understand what Jesus has done, the Father comes and calls to you. So this is why I want you to understand, unless God draws you, there is nothing that you can make up of yourself and say, oh, I've understood everything there is to understand. How can you understand these things logically? This is why the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's not foolishness to the world who is perishing because it didn't make sense. You know, how can salvation be given through someone dying on a cross? Jesus wants to reach hearts. And he's looking for those who will hunger and then hear his voice. 
When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Jesus is calling to someone right now. I'm not talking about a religious thing. I'm talking about responding to the voice of your Savior. He's not just your maker. He's not just the one who is saving you from sin. He's the one who wants to give you life in every facet. So if you've grown up, so if you've got one of these, we're going to take out that little piece of bread that you have. Jesus said, as long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Because he says, my flesh is life to you. And I want you to see this in the context of what Jesus purchased. This bread that you are eating is not just a symbol. Do you understand? Jesus said, when you do this, I will be present. I am the one who comes to give life. So this is not just pictures. I know we love to talk about it in the context, because it makes, it makes more sense to our Western mind. Oh, yeah, it's just a picture. He's not asking us to really do this weird stuff. No. I lay my understanding in the dirt. I lay everything that I hold dear as, oh, well, well, I understand this because I've got a science degree and this and that. No. If you have told me to pick up this bread and call on your name, you have said, I will be present. So where is there brokenness in my life? You have said, if you will receive this, with faith, I have given you life. There are places right now in your body, there are places right now in your soul, in your spirit, that are struggling with things and you're saying, Lord, I need your wholeness. He says, come, receive from me. Pick up manna for today. If you will have me and have me fully, not just a Sunday, oh, I guess this is a communion time. No, no, no. Lord, I want to receive everything that you've done for me. I don't presume to understand everything. I'm going to let that be for a second. But Lord, I give you my heart. Everything that I have, I come and I give it to you. I know you will help me. You will draw me to understanding. You will draw me to the knowledge of the truth. But I do not presume those things first. I come to you with a heart that says, yes, Lord. Can we do that together? Can we say, yes, Lord, I receive the life that you have for me. Lord, may this be strength to each one as we receive out of your fullness. We ask for a grace to be manifest, Lord God, in each person. Lord, that as we eat this bread, Lord, we would receive from the wholeness that Jesus has purchased for us. Similarly, when He gave His life, His blood was shed for us. Jesus, His words are strength and life to you. 
but His blood brings life in a totally new dimension. As you drink this, I want you to remember, Jesus' body was broken, and, then, and when He was raised up, he, not, he did not leave us alone. He sent us the new wine, which is His Spirit. So as you receive this, you're receiving life in a whole new dimension. The things that are impossible to understand, the things that are not disclosed to those who are not of Him. He says, those things I've given to you by my Spirit. So as you receive, say, Lord, I thank you that your blood covers over my sin, but your blood has also opened the doorway for a new life. So everything that I have right now, I open for new life to be manifest in me. Receive that right now. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for new life in Jesus. Thank you. Lord, for each person here who has responded with faith, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time or the thousandth time, Lord, I ask that there would be a new work of life in each one. Father, that there would be a manifestation of your glory in each person's life. We thank you that the power belongs to you and not these jars of clay that we're looking at. So we glorify your name, Jesus. Glorify your name, Jesus. May you do the saving work in every facet. In Jesus' name, amen. I want Jesus, in John chapter 17 lifts up his eyes. So this is a few chapters later. He's ready to go up into heaven. And I want you to see some of the things that we've just been chewing on. When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He then said, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now Father it is time to glorify your name. Jesus immediately pivots to saying, Lord, the glory that you have given me is all about pointing them to knowing you. That they may understand your father heart calling to them to give them everyday bread, to give them everyday living water to drink. That they would never have to hunger again. That they would never have to thirst again. All of the deepest needs in their hearts would be met by what you do. John chapter 17, in that same chapter, verse 15, he continues. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, because that would be very nice, right? Because it, stuff is about to get pretty gnarly. Things are about to get really hard. It's going to seem like a real big wilderness. But Lord, that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Can you agree with that statement wholeheartedly? 
Because we are so used to defining ourselves as human beings who live for a season, more so we're American or Western Pennsylvanian. There's so much about our identity that we tie up into our homes, into our family life, our background, our job. But Jesus is fully confident when he says, they put their faith in me. They have come to me and said, Lord, you have the words of life. This is in John chapter 8. A few chapters after that, John chapter 6, you know, when they all got freaked out and left him. Jesus questions the Pharisees and he says, you search the scriptures and you look for truth, thinking that you will find life in them. And all of those words point towards me and you refuse to come to me. For the, I'm, I'm quoting a lot of John because you've studied John last year. You understand where I'm coming from when I say these things. Because you need to understand, Jesus is not playing around when he says, you cannot have part of me. You only can have all of me. I cannot just say, well, I'll take the good Jesus parts. I, this, this controversial stuff I want to stay away from. Guess what? Walking with Jesus is very controversial. And it will cost you. It will cost you. It will cost you with yourself. Forget about costing you at work. Forget about costing you with your marriage, with your kids. I'm talking about with your own self and your desires and your goals. Jesus will come along and say, Can I have that? And you're like, but, but this is me. But this was my forever home. Which is why I'm very careful never to say those words. The moment I say my forever home, I'm like, he might ask me for it. <laughs> but it's, and I'm just kidding. But at the same time, it's also a serious thing I've had to navigate myself. Ever since I was a little boy, I've seen God move my family many times just when we thought we were getting the hang of the place we were at. And it is not for a lack of connection or for some better prospect somewhere else or grass greener somewhere else. It was always by the call of God. And to say, uh, but this was so good. Do you understand how foolish it sounds when you read the Exodus account? That when they got to the wilderness, they blamed Moses for what? Do you know what we had back in Egypt? They're like, we had onions. Dude, you were, you were, being, you were being asked to work triple shifts. You could barely feed your kids. And now that we're out in the desert eating food given to us by God, you're saying, but we had onions. Do you see how the affections of our heart can be so deceiving, so manipulative, that you think God is out to get you? Why? Because He asked me for something from my life. Ah, uh, He's out to get me. You serious? I am a Father who loves you, and I want what's best for you. And guess what? Some of this onion stuff has to go. No, but that was the good part. They are not 
of the world just as I am not of the world. He was so clear, so confident about making that statement as he was praying for us. Jesus says, they're, they're not of this place. They belong to me. Just as I am not of this place, they're also not of this place. Lord, I ask that you would sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. He immediately establishes what is going to clean up this stinky mindset that we have. When God sets us apart in truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So, so far, he's praying for the disciples who are going to go out and do the work of ministry. But guess what? Just before you think, oh, that had to do with another dispensation, another time, not me. Jesus wasn't talking about this for me. He says, Lord, I don't ask for them only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe. So that what? The world may believe that you have sent me. So there is a oneness God has with you and when you take communion, when you respond to His written word, when you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. There is a oneness you share with God that the world that does not believe in this God that you trust, that does not believe in all this weird blood and bread and all that stuff, all of that, all of those preconceptions, all of those negative dispositions towards the work of the gospel, they look at your life and they're like, there's a oneness this person has. I don't know how to explain. This is not human, the, what I'm looking at. Suddenly, the foolishness of the gospel about a Christ who died on a cross 2,000 plus years ago suddenly makes sense to a science major at IUP. And it's not in conflict. Because the one who fashioned all things, the one who created all things, brings revelation in the secret heart. Not the heart that we all see. The father comes, reaches out his hand and he says, will you respond? And the response brings them to a place where they say, yes. So Jesus says, for that sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in their word, that they may be one with us. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as you and I are one. I in them, you in me, that we, that we may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and have loved who? That you have loved each one of them. Which is why I had to respond to the word God gave me about how I said something last week. Because he wants you to know he loves you the same way he loves Jesus. What? How could he love Someone like me, the same way he loves the perfect Son of God.
he will go to the ends of the earth to confirm what he has accomplished for you. None of his words are null and void. Everything that comes out of his mouth will be established. He's a God who speaks and no one can reverse it. No one! Not even you. But this is my call to you as we close. In Philippians 3 it says, Not that I have already obtained this. There's so much that God has called us to. And I don't presume to have understood everything. I don't presume to have achieved everything. But this I do. I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see that? Do you see that Jesus, the bread of life, he says, I've come to give you myself. And he says to you, will you receive me? Will you make that first act of simply receiving what I have given you? Brothers, this is important. I press towards the goal, the upward call of Christ. This is not my home. I'm going somewhere else. So I need to live in this earth with a clear expectation I'm not taking anything out of it. I need to stop making my life about all of these things. So I forget what lies behind and I press on to know God. I want to encourage you. Lay hold of what God is giving you today. Don't mock it. Don't mock the little things that He gives you as your daily bread. Go get it. I'm going to say it again. Go get your daily bread for today. This is not it. What I'm sharing with you is me sharing what God would have all of us. Now, there might be a facet of it, which is your daily bread. But guess what? God wants to speak to you individually, specifically for you and your household. He has daily bread for you. But you will not get it if you don't ask for it. Which is why He taught us to pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I ask that you will give me my bread for today. Not the food that feeds my belly, but the food that teaches me to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want that bread. Because guess what? I cannot live without it. When you start to make that a practice, and I'm not talking about highfalutin, Bible study, some big like you've written three points down, your observations, investigations, applications, all of these things that you've... I'm telling you, you, all of those things aside, if you have those things, great. But even without it, you have Holy Spirit who is the revealer teacher. And this is why when you were drinking that juice... Jesus was paving the way for the life-giving Spirit of God to come sit with you and say, here, I will show you. I will disclose all the things that Jesus has spoken. 
Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of Jesus, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when we get together, guess what? You get to admonish one another in psalms, hymns, with all wisdom. You start to find the glories of God, the wonders of God, start to come through untaught, not Hebrew Greek scholars, people who are blue collar workers somewhere in Western Pennsylvania, suddenly the life of God comes through their mouth. How? Because they have daily bread. And we are of His house. We are children who are called by a different name. So don't try and make yourself just like every other human being. There is a, a big problem when the church tries to be like the world. We're so trying to identify with where people are at. I get you trying to identify with where people are at, but you're not them. You are connected to the life giver. So respond to that. Do you hear me? You cannot treat your life with God the same way a person in the world treats their life and everyday struggles. Sure, we walk through the same trials, possibly. But the way you navigate it is entirely different. Because you do not live by bread alone. Did you hear me? You do not live by the solutions of bread alone. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm not giving you this as a suggestion. I'm giving you this as a clear point of truth. Every time you are faced with a situation that you're going to have to make a decision. Do I live by bread alone, which is the solutions of this earth? Or do I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that every single thing that you have spoken will come to pass. Holy Spirit, we invite you as the revealer and teacher in this place. Lord, we thank you that your blood has paved the way for new life, for new wine to be poured out. And as we partake of this, Lord, we receive the life that you have for us. Things that go beyond our understanding. Lord, we thank you for the bread of life that has come to us. We receive your word as sustaining strength for every single day. Lord, we thank you that eternal life is now. We don't have to wait for tomorrow. We don't have to wait to walk into, into heaven or into the eternal life that you've promised us in the end. Lord, we can taste it now. So we receive it now in Jesus' name. Lord, for every person who is struggling through something, Lord, I ask that they would receive your heart this morning. Lord, that there would be a receiving of the heart of the Father. Lord, that they would come to you for the work of your hand, but also, Lord, for the work of your Son. Lord, that you would manifest what you have done on the cross for them. Lord, that they would see it clearly with spiritual eyes, not with earthly eyes. Lord, that there would be heavenly solutions to the things that ail us on this earth. We receive it right now in faith, knowing that you're a God who responds to those who come to you in faith. Glorify your Son in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.